0: This is the Voices in Health Law Podcast, brought to you by the American Bar Association Health Law Section. I'm Jeff Worsberg, Senior Counsel with Norton Rose Fulbright and Managed Care Interest Group Chair. Today, we have a very special podcast. We're going to be talking about Washington Health Law Summit, uh, which is upcoming in Washington, D.C., December 12th through 13th. It is not too late to register, and you can do that at ambar.org two. So today, we are so lucky to have Joyce Hall. Many of you may remember her as our former leader, former chair of the health law section, and she will be participating in the Washington Health Law Summit. a Great, great session entitled Telemedicine in 2022 and Beyond, What to Expect on Policies and Payments. So welcome, Joyce, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Before we jump in, do you want to talk a little bit about your practice?
1: Yes, yeah, sure, I'd be happy to. I try to stay on the business side of healthcare, which includes both formation of healthcare entities, uh, mergers, and acquisitions it includes financing for health care activities both representing the lenders in that and also the healthcare entities I represent a lot of physicians and physician groups both with expansions bringing on new physicians adding additional services and they're contracting with healthcare facilities. And what I really love is when when it crosses with public finance, and we end up with a a nice bond issue that involves a healthcare facility that's expanding. Especially in, in my state of Mississippi, we love to see expansions of healthcare services to our to our population. So it also touches, my practice also touches on the on the regulatory side as well, helping those healthcare entities navigate the extensive regulatory framework we have in health law. So it's, it's a great practice. I love it. And I love being part of the health law section.
0: Well, we can't thank you enough for joining us and obviously uh, all your leadership over the years in the health law section. And I'm really, really looking forward to your presentation at at the summit. And before we kind of jump into the nuts and bolts and what you're going to be talking about at the Washington Health Law Summit, let's talk about the conference itself. I know it really is my favorite conference that we put on. What do you enjoy most about Washington Health
1: Law Summit. Yeah, I agree with you, Jeff. It is my favorite one as well. I always love EMI and I like Physician Legal Issues Conference, but I love Washington Health Law Summit. Number one, I love being in DC in December because it's so festive and there's all kinds of things around the holidays that are happening in our capital. With that, I love to see. I love to be there where if I need to reach out to our own Mississippi delegation, I can do that during that time, but more importantly than that, it's just great because with this being a policy conference, we're so close to uh, the regulators, and it's really nice when the regulators can be at the conference, and not only can we hear their perspective on the late-breaking health law issues that are facing our clients, but they can also hear from us. And we've had this great opportunity, um, especially with the OIG, where they've invited that and they want to hear from us and things that are concerning to us about their processes, issues that we're dealing with with our clients every day. And it helps to put them in the real world And it's just always been a very congenial conference where the private sector and the public sector get to meet and talk policy, which I think is unique for this conference and very helpful in my practice.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It it might be the holidays and everyone's always in the holiday spirit and excited to be there, but it really is just an incredibly warm conference. And the content is always interesting, especially if you're interested in in policy and what's going on in in DC. And I think this year will will be no different when you look at the agenda for December 12th and and 13th. So with that, I do want to ask you a little bit about your presentation, telemedicine in 2022 and beyond, what to expect on policies and payments. Such a great topic, because I think there's so much speculation and uncertainty, and, and yet This is a area of practice, a policy that has really not only changed during the pandemic and grown during the pandemic, but the impact on people's lives and the ability to receive healthcare when they want it, how they want it is is very unique. So I was hoping you could just kind of set the table for us and talk about how telehealth has changed the last couple of years as we head into 2023.
1: Yeah, sure. I'm happy to do that. And with my panelists, uh Chip Hutzler and Pam Depuzo, we've talked about our theme is the toothpaste is out of the tube. You know, tele- telemedicine was around pre-pandemic and was people were dabbling in it, mainly because there would be some necessity for it, but the government and payors were slow to get on the bandwagon with it. There wasn't a big rollout in the technology yet. We still had areas, for example, this is hugely important in rural areas, but we didn't have broadband in rural areas. And so there were were technology issues that hampered the ability for an all-out rollout of telemedicine and the benefits of it. And You know, unfortunately, the pandemic brought all of that to bear really quickly, and health law and health care had to pivot to that model so quickly that. The toothpaste is out of the tube and then we're not going back. People like it. Some people hate it. And there's some some pros and cons that we're going to go into in our discussion about it that I think will help with forming kind of some policy issues that we want to throw out there, both with enforcement type issues, fraud and abuse issues, but also with payment and what's the best model to come up with. So, you know, I I love to brag on my state a little bit when we give the history of telemedicine because Mississippi is always like 50th and and kind of whatever, but but our academic medical center was on the forefront of telemedicine um, way pre-pandemic in that they did a pilot program up in the Delta for, I think it was on diabetes, management of of a chronic condition. And it was the, the pilot program was so wildly successful in helping patients manage diabetes that they stopped the pilot and and went full blown you know with with that with that program because it was so successful and that's what i think across the united states people have realized that there are benefits and the good thing about that happened with the pandemic was that we had to roll out the technology really quickly and and money became available to get broadband to rural areas and so you know it just it just exploded it all within this one and a half year period that really has has helped to to bring it to the forefront and so that leads us to the some of the things that we're going to see and talk about 2022 that, that's coming up. So let me stop there, Jeff, and see if I threw out something that you want to ask a further question on, and then I'll, I'll get into the 2022-2023 issues that we're going to touch on in the conference. Yeah,
0: no, that's great. You know, I, I know I saw the, the difference. I, I have little children and being able to just quickly get on the phone with their pediatrician, it's made all the difference sometimes. And I know certainly within the Medicaid space, for instance, for the the so-called working poor, not having to take work off necessarily or figure out transportation to see a physician has made an an enormous difference and really changed the way we deliver healthcare. So so yes, I'd love to turn to kind of what happened in 2022 that y'all will be discussing.
1: Yeah. So, you know, as you know, the Medicare physician fee schedule just came out and it provides some rules for further expansion of the framework. And so so during the pandemic, Medicare reimbursement was on parity for telemedicine visit with in-person visits because you know in in, in lots of the country just in-person visits just got shut down completely and so so medicare was paying the same and so they're going to continue that uh, for the duration of the extension and what the fee schedule did was to extend it even beyond the public health emergency so the public health emergency i think and correct me if i'm wrong jeff on this but i think it right now it extends to like april maybe of 2023 but the fee schedule has these the telehealth rules in effect throughout 2023. So that's great. So it's gonna extend beyond what we now have for what we think will be the end of the public health emergency kind of springish of 2023. So that's good. They were also, and this is really Pam's area on our panel, and she's going to really delve into the fee schedule. There's some significant rules for telehealth related to behavioral health patients. I've got several clients in that space, and the telehealth visits during the pandemic on the behavioral health side was critical to the care of their patient's because of the isolation that happened during the pandemic and the significant impact that the pandemic itself had on behavioral health patients. It was vital for those providers to have the telehealth visits, which is great. So, you know, Medicare acknowledged that too. And so there's there's some things that PAM's going to delve into, particular to behavioral health patients that I think folks will would be really interested in doing. The big question will be, will private insurance continue to follow the same framework throughout 2023? You know, private health insurance companies typically in a lot of areas, just follow what Medicare does. So it'll be interesting to see what that ha- what happens with that. We're also though, seeing on the enforcement side, you can go to the OIG's website and they have a whole page on telemedicine. And it's it's a great page. It talks a lot about how the government sees the benefits of telemedicine, but they also see the issues that could be ripe for fraud and abuse. And there is a there's a link that you can click on and see the OIG's enforcement action over this last year uh, in the telemedicine area. And you can just read down it and see the different ways that the bad actors used this, uh, you know, for fraud and abuse. And the government is going to be very, very active in that space. So that's another reason that I think it's important for this this conference and our topic particularly we're going to look at some of those things because we need to as healthcare lawyers be able to caution our clients in that area so that they don't they know where the enforcement action is focused from the government's perspective, and so they can stay stay clear of, of that. So that's something to look forward to in the conference as well. You know, kind of one of the things we're gonna talk about and kind of bat around, and we really hope that our audience will join in and, and discuss it with us is, so what's gonna happen after 2023. And so we, we have a chart in our slide presentation that we're going to put up on the screen to show what we think are the pros and cons from the different perspectives on telemedicine, both from the patient's perspective, from the payer's perspective, from the provider's perspective. And I think it'll be a really good discussion that we hope the audience will get involved in as we, as healthcare lawyers, look at what we think and what we would hope would be the policy considerations to come out of telemedicine in the future and how it can improve healthcare care and potentially what the payment model ought to be. Should it be based on encounters? Should it be based on visits? Should it be based on outcomes? Is there a place for telemedicine in value-based care? And so that's going to be the the focus of our discussion about the policy issues for telemedicine.
0: Well, it sounds fascinating. And certainly you've got a lot of ground to cover <laughs> during during the limited time for your presentation. So I'm, I'm excited to hear it. Final question here. And you kind of touched on this this a little bit. And yes, the, the public health emergency, the Biden administration did got, not give the 60 days notice. So looks like it'll be extended through April. Uh, and it may feel like it's in perpetuity, but it is going to end at some point. And kind of Between that that delta between what you were just discussing in 2023, but also the end of the public health emergency, whenever that may be, what sort of disruptions should we be thinking about? What might be the outcome after the public health emergency that people should be keeping an eye towards?
1: Well, it could be that payers will stop paying for telemedicine visits. And so then it's, you know, will the providers be willing to provide it? No, because they won't get reimbursed for it. And so the payment model is going to be really important. And then if there is going to be reimbursement for it, if there's going to be constraints on on when it will be reimbursed, that will also impact the provider's willingness to include it as, you know, part of the healthcare that they'll provide to their patient. And I think there's going to be a lot of pushback, Jeff, from patients if there's pullback on telemedicine, because just like you said, it's so much nicer with your children when you can you know, tap in and and have a telemedicine visit with your doctor with an issue. Because just think of the benefits of that, not only the time it takes for you to do it, but now you haven't exposed your child to a waiting room of children with RSV and the flu and any number of other uh, issues that we're seeing going around the country right now that are that are um, maybe even more concerned than COVID for children right now. And so, you know, when you can pop in and have a telemedicine visit and you haven't exposed your child, or the same with an elderly patient, you haven't exposed them to something, there's going to be a lot of pushback from patients if there's major pullback from the payors, whether it's government payors or private insurers on paying for telemedicine visits.
0: It would be certainly disruptive if if private payers do stop or change the way in which they're they're paying for telemedicine. So uh, a lot to be following in the, the coming weeks and months. And I really, really look forward to your presentation at, at the Washington Health Law Summit. And can't thank you enough for taking the time today to be with us, talk about your presentation, share some of your thoughts. We're, we're very lucky to have you, as well as Chip and, and Pam, really a, a panel of heavy hitters at Washington Health Law Summit. And for those of you listening who are thinking, gosh, I can't believe I haven't signed up yet, again, it's ambar.org slash WHS2022. So Joyce, thank you again, and, and I look forward to seeing you here in a couple of weeks in Washington, D.C.
1: Great. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you. The Health Law Section would like to thank our premier sponsors for making today's podcast possible five-star premier sponsor, AAA, four-star premier sponsors, BRG and VMG Health, and three-star premier sponsors, Pinnacle Health. Now back to the program.